Mel. And Kel. And this is It's Called Culture. Ever heard of it? We're back. Another week. Been a long week. A very long one. It has, and it was a lonely week for me last week, so I'm glad to have you back. It's not the same when I'm just (laughs) talking to myself. You guys haven't heard. My dog passed away and I'm very rushed, devastated. I'm trying not to get into it too much in the beginning of the episode because I don't want to cry yet because we have some funny things to talk about. (laughs) We do. We'll save the tears for the end in the mental health segment. And that way we can just call it, end it early if it gets too emotional. And then I go back to bed and I just cry some more. We're going to touch more on it towards the end. So let's get into our social media roundup. Kelly, you posted this hysterical video a couple of weeks ago now of <laughs> your dad trimming your neighbor's bushes. And that sounds like a dirty Portuguese song. <laughs> right. But he was actually doing like, He was actually just trimming the bushes. <laughs> I got it on film. He just always, he goes to that specific neighbor's house because they have a lot of greenery in their yard. They have a big yard. It's ours. And he likes to go over and he maintains their yard. Doesn't ask them. They're okay with it. Like, they know that my dad does it. When all of a sudden, like, their rose bushes all cleaned up and they're like, okay, who did this? Clearly, it's just the retired neighbor next door that's doing it. They like, But they, I think they end up seeing my dad one day in the yard doing it, whatever. And they were totally okay with it. But he always just takes it upon himself <laughs> to go over there and clean. Are the neighbors American or are they Portuguese? The husband's super American. The wife's Portuguese. Interesting. And even like, so we have the different barrels, uh, like trash barrels here. I don't know how it is out in New Hampshire, but we have the big blue bins for the recycle, the green one for like your regular trash. And then I think if you have like a big enough yard, you can request the one to put all your yard stuff in i don't have a big yard so we don't have like the brown bin but my neighbor has the big brown bin so even when my dad does his own yard work in his yard he puts his stuff in the guy's brown bin. <laughs> like it's not a communal bit but probably not just portuguese like immigrant parents they are very proud of their yard they like to keep it clean and we got these new neighbors that just moved in last summer like the end of last summer so this is like the first full summer they'll be here and they have so much crap in their yard and my dad just like eyes it and he's like oh my god that's something is in a quinta <laughs> my dad you can't go into that yard you don't know those people that's trespassing <laughs> people get shot for that <laughs> okay unfortunately nowadays yeah in this freaking world yeah so that's good advice i would advise him not to go to the new neighbor's yard and start packing away their yard trinkets <laughs> He eyes it all the time. I so I wanted to say it was Ameri- an American thing, but then like oh, every time I go to my parents' house, it's like they're getting worse and worse. Like not in their yard though, right? The problem with my parents is they kind of hoard shit. So like my uncle, probably twenty five years ago or more, gave him a boat to store and he was like hey like i'm moving into this apartment or whatever like i don't have a place to put this boat can you store it for me i didn't know they're gonna hear this when they're gonna die but (laughs) (laughs) 
boat went to the back of my dad's yard. Okay. And it never came out of there. <laughs> it's decrepit now. And it's just laying there in the back. And I'm like, okay. And it's just, if you kind of walk back, like that's where I take my dog to go potty. Kind of like the back edge of their property. And if I go walk that with my dog, there's the boat, which is big and you can see it. But then like, there's all kinds of shit over there that you don't really see because he kind of piles the leaves on top of it. <laughs> you stop moving the leaves around. You're like, oh my God, it's like a treasure hunt over here. Like, what is this? Like when he has something he doesn't know what to do with, but he's like unsure of how to throw it away. Like he just like puts it in under the leaves back there. <laughs> it's like the thing, like you thought these days, like people like never know how to dispose like medication. Like you're not supposed to like flush it down the toilet. <laughs> Your father just puts it outside in the yard. Under the leaves with cans of paint. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> EPA does not need to show up there, okay? They hide their treasure versus the Americans and having it just out in the front of the yard. <laughs> yes, exactly. He's not like proud of the boat and the scrap metal under the leaves. So he kind of puts it from the back property. <laughs> the other thing that you posted on our social media that I thought was a hoot was the nail polish, the OPI nail polish. And I saw it at CBS, and of course, the color wasn't available there <laughs> to buy, but I saw the the name, the label, and I was like, oh, holy crap, I, have, I was unaware of this Portuguese line. So you saw a color that said, Susie Chase's Portuguese like portuguese portuguese but there was none there so i took a picture of it and i posted and i think i said like hey what color is this guys i think it's confirmed it's a white color a lot of people messaged us on on the color (laughs) we learned this from some of our listeners that it's part of a lisbon line a whole line of different colors a portuguese lisbon related unaware of it i had no idea but do you think that they carry that just because it was like a really portuguese area or do you think that like if you went to like detroit they'd be carrying that same nail polish too because they only had the one from that lisbon line in your the cvs or did they have multiple a couple rows of opi colors but i only saw that the portuguese is what caught me but that's a good point like would they have it in in another state or is it just directed to us? Right, like CVS Pharmacy, they're running some demographics <laughs> and they're like, yo, we got a hot spot. Let's put this Lisbon line out. It's a lot of cute ones too. Very summer. So some of the names of these colors are You've Got Nata On Me. Which I like that one. It's cute. I like the little play on words on that one. A creamy nude shade. Can't go wrong. I like a nude collar. <laughs> I love a creamy nude. <laughs> you and a bunch of other men, probably. <laughs> so there's a whole bunch of these, you know, tile art to warm your heart and it's blue. Kind of classic play on Portuguese things. But one that I wanted to talk about is called We See Food and Eat It. And I just think it's a missed opportunity. So it's a it's a vibrant, deep red color. I love red. Love a red nail. But with that title, we see food <laughs> and eat it. Wouldn't that be better with like kind of a 
a Mozambique sauce orange <laughs> shade so that when you're eating your camarón with your fingernails all in it, it just kind of blends in. It matches. Wouldn't that be the better color? You have a good point. Call me OPI. Reach out to Melissa. That's a missed opportunity for OPI. Someone didn't do their research there. Have you ever eaten a freaking Mozambique? Come on, like, come on. (laughs) You're thinking it was like stained orange for like days. (laughs) Right. So you might as well already be wearing that nail color. I couldn't agree more. There was another one that you had mentioned, the no turning back from Pink Street. You did a little history on the Pink Street of Lisbon. It was called No Turning Back from Pink Street, like you said. And I was like, okay, so Pink Street must be a street in Lisbon that's popular. And I looked it up and found out that it used to be like the red light district. (laughs) I just can't get over that with like Portuguese then. Gives me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> and I actually, I want to quote this to you because I could say it, but I want to just quote it to you from this article from BePortugal.com. Lisbon's Pink Street was originally known as Rua Nova de Carval, and it, quote, had some very shady beginnings. It is a pedestrian street once known as a meeting point for sailors, local criminals, and prostitutes. Sailors and criminals would come by for a good time to enjoy the company of women at the gambling dens, brothels, and seedy bars. The street at the time developed a bad reputation until it had a complete makeover. I think the makeover was only like 10 years ago. <laughs> they, quote, closed the doors of the brothels and dodgy rundown bars to open cozy cafes and a new kind of nightlife, attracting locals and tourists all over the world. So while you're at a bar on Pink Street, ordering like your martini you could potentially be in a spot where some sailors had some rough sex not potentially you are (laughs) (laughs) you are in a spot where sailors had some rough sex because these bars are literally they converted the brothels into bars they probably didn't do much of a change on it either even this first one that shows up on here there's one called pension amour there's a picture of it here and it's basically like oh once a brothel the bar maintains its intimate and seductive atmosphere seductive atmosphere come (laughs) on comprising different rooms filled with bright decor and cushy seats unique but shocking art and a dancer's pole it's literally like you go into this bar but it's like all these different rooms because they were like all the rooms of the brothel did they reupholster the furniture probably somebody's grandmother did (laughs) Hey, you do think if you want to go to a brothel, I don't even know if those even still exist. I have no idea. If you want to do that, do your thing. Be safe about it. Make sure it's consented <laughs> between both people. But like, I don't want to go to a bar <laughs> that used to be a brothel. The walls have seen some shit. And I'm such like an overthinker or like a hypochondriac. I'm just going to be like, am I going to catch something? <laughs> yeah. But Pink Street is a very popular street. I always see like a lot of Instagram. So maybe the location is nice. It definitely seems like like a a nightlife kind of place still now. But they like painted like the whole center of the street pink or something. I don't know. Do you think the local criminals are still hanging around there? 
Do you think they like wander through these bars and like drink and kind of recount their memories of <laughs> room 402 or? The sailors must. Yeah, the sailors. They must like to talk about their stories. Yeah. So I guess if you're in Lisbon, which I'm trying to be in a few months, I'm trying to book a trip. I'm close and I'm trying to get Kelly to come with me. She is. <laughs> but if you're there. Find yourself at a discoteca on Pink Street. You'll think of us. <laughs> you, I think you do have to check it out if you're there. At least if you're in the area. I don't know exactly where it is. Lisbon. I'm a mother. I have a child. <laughs> there is no nightlife to be had when I go on vacation, just so you're aware. <laughs> to be honest, there isn't much of a nightlife when I go on vacation either. <laughs> I'm more of a like, I rather do things during the day while I'm on vacation and get to bed early. So are you saying you want to come on this trip with me? <laughs> and is it your anniversary? Is this what you do? Is this what you do for your anniversary? No, no, no. I'm like, is this an anniversary trip? Is she trying to invite her friends to her anniversary? I need a babysitter. <laughs> uh, right. No, um, it does happen to be right around my anniversary. But it's not an anniversary trip. We're just trying oh, to go. Okay. On a I trip. thought it was when you first mentioned it. You thought I was inviting you on my anniversary trip? You guys have been married for so long. I don't think it would have pleased you guys if I was hanging out with you on the anniversary. I'm trying to pressure her because we're on the pod right now to go to <laughs> Lisbon with us. I do want to go to Lisbon. I do. Okay. Our culture topic today is reminding you to watch the Netflix special, which is coming out soon in a couple days. By the time you hear this, it will already be out. So you can just go right to your Netflix and just stream away on Netflix Portugal, which is it's the original language of the series. It's Portuguese series. It's called Robbed Pish. I think we decided that on Netflix US, it's going to be under the name Turn of the Tide. I think so. That's what it looked like. I know we have a lot of Canadian listeners as well. I'm assuming. It will be called Turn of the Tide for the Canadians as well, because that's like the English language version. It'll be dubbed over that way. Let us know if you can find it on your Netflix. You're going to have to deal with dubbing over the Portuguese language into English. So like the voice is not going to line up exactly to their lips moving. And I know I hate that. My husband gets very frustrated with that. Like he cannot watch a series like that. But this one is going to be so captivating and so pertinent that. I'm going to deal with it. That drives me nuts when they don't match up. I like, I can't watch it. I'm like in the same boat with your husband. It drives me nuts. I get so mad <laughs> at the TV. <laughs> but you're going to watch this. I'm going to watch it. Yeah, of course I'm going to watch it. But I'm going to like hate it the whole time. If it's done nicely and you can't notice it too much, that's cool. But I've watched things where like it, it's so bad where I'm like, I can't watch. I can't. I can't do this. For my husband, it was just the fact that it would piss him off because he wouldn't know that it was coming. So he would just be like on Netflix looking for something to watch. And he'd find this like great rom-com because he's a big rom-com guy. Oh, he is. Oh, that's all he watches. He'd be like, oh, I found a new one, found a new rom-com that I haven't seen yet. And he would queue it up and it would start. And it, within like two minutes of it starting, he's like, nope. Nope, nope. Because <laughs> he realized that it was like 
from another language and it was dubbed over in English. So he gets so pissed. That's what happens with a lot of my true crime ones that I watch on Netflix. So it'll be like true crime, whatever, France and blah, blah, blah. So it gets like dubbed over and I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. I'm like, I want to watch this so bad because I'm interested in like the show. I'm like, I oh, forget it. I can't watch this. What if you put on, I always watch everything with closed captions. Okay. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> I don't want to read. <laughs> That's my problem. I don't want to read while I'm watching a show. (laughs) I'm like, what the heck? I'm like, this is like homework. (laughs) I'm very excited to watch this. And the reason is because the story is actually so crazy and so incredible. And I know we touched on it maybe on an episode or two. I know Kyler's episode, he's the one who brought it to our attention. We talked about it kind of briefly, but that was before I had read all the details about it because I was just hearing it for the first time on that episode. And then I went back, I read the full story of what happened. And oh, my God. So I'm going to just give you just the the highlights here, just so that you can go into watching the show with knowledge of what actually happened, because the show is not a documentary. The show is like a drama series. So it's kind of loosely based on the facts. So they're going to take it in whatever direction they do take it in. But the, the facts are really funny. Not funny. Sad. So there's an article from a website called El País, and it's Spain, Spanish website, I guess, but this is translated into English, and it's a very, very good article. It doesn't feel like it's translated from Spanish to English. It feels like it was just written in English because it's so good. I don't even know. I don't know. Yeah, sometimes when you get it translated into English, it like doesn't make sense. I've read articles before where it gets translated, and I'm like, wait, this is not translated, right? But this one is very good. The article is actually incredible. And I'm going to link it in our show notes so you can read it. I'm going to read just the first paragraph of it to you here. And then I'll go into like my own just high level synopsis of what happened. I just got to set the stage for you here. So quote, Probed Pish is the kind of place where you need a lot of ambition and a ton of luck to survive. Life here on the north coast of São Miguel in Portugal's Azores is as wild forgotten and cruel as its location in the middle of the Atlantic. Home to 7,500, the town has few facilities. When there's no fishing to be done, youngsters smoke hash, hang out on the cement pier, and ponder how to get away from this scrap of land in the middle of nowhere where next to nothing happens. Oh, that's so sad. Sad, but also so true. The, The gist of the story is there was a ship or yacht smuggling Cocaine. Cocana. <laughs> my parents talk about it. Is that how it is called? Cocana? Cocana. That's how my parents say it. I have no idea how it's said, but I would have said cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> I like that too. The drugs were coming from Venezuela. The yacht crew, I don't know, there was a guy on it. He was a Sicilian. The drugs were headed to the Balearic Islands. And when I read that, I was like, what the hell are the Balearic Islands? Never heard of them. I looked it up. They're owned by Spain. And the best part about it is that Ibiza is one of them. <laughs> we just talked about that on our last episode. And lo and behold, the freaking cocaine is going to Ibiza. Because in full circle, always. But it didn't make it to Ibiza because the ship, the yacht, the mast was having some issues there must have been a storm or something and like their mast broke and they were 
screwed conveniently right around the Azores, I guess, when it happened. It says there was a crew on the yacht, which is weird because this one guy is like the only guy who ever has been associated with it or the one guy that like went down for this whole thing. So I don't know what happened to the rest of the crew where they all fled. Maybe the crew was unaware of it and they were just like the crew that was working on the yacht and they just, you know, hey, we're going, we're doing this trip. So I'm, I'm going to work. And then this, the main guy is the one that only knew about the drugs, maybe. But I don't know how they would prove that the crew didn't know about it. Oh, so I think the crew did know about it because it seemed like there was like a morning meeting situation of like, hey, guys, uh, we got a lot of cocaine on this ship and uh, it's broken. Oh, shit. So what do we do? They couldn't continue on their journey. Even though the Azores were right there, you can't just pull your ship into port. You can't just cozy on up to the dock because they're going to search your ship or start asking questions. and They're going to find half a ton of cocaine that you have on your yacht. So they were apparently trying to decide what to do. They threw some of the cocaine overboard, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, okay, we're going to ditch like three bricks. And then the rest of them we're going to go put in this cave that they found near Rupt Fish somewhere on that side of the island. I don't know that I read it in this article or if it was a different article that I read, but I saw something where they sort of like submerged it. And then like wrapped it up with like an anchor or like some netting or something. Some some contraption they're trying to save as much as they can so they could return to it so basically they wanted to just like let me just make a contraption to hold this cocaine over here on this inlet and then i'm gonna go around to ponte delgada i'm gonna bring my ship in i'm gonna get it repaired there's gonna be no cocaine on the ship so we're not gonna get in trouble and then i'm gonna go pick the cocaine back up after the ship is repaired and that did not go according to plan i was gonna say it sounds like a great plan I don't know. Maybe the lapage got a hold of it. They shook the cocaine loose. I don't know. Maybe they suctioned to the cocaine. Oh my God. Do you think like when you eat lapage, like there's like residual cocaine <laughs> in the lapage? Maybe that's why they're so good. We're all just addicted to residual cocaine in the lapage. <laughs> limpets for our American listeners. <laughs> Not that that means anything to me. What the fuck's a limpet? I don't know. A shelled mollusk of some kind. <laughs> The cocaine got loose. The turn of the tide washed it ashore in her fish. So it just kind of like pulled up on the docks there. And I think this article said it was like the middle of the night. But of course, like one team Manel and team Maria start whispering across to their friends. And like, before you know it, the game of telephone, <laughs> everybody knew it was down there. I don't know that they knew what it was, but the shit was washing ashore and they were figuring it out. So of course, there's like the rumors people say they remember people thinking it was flour and like coating their fish in it and eating it or having like Yuti Manel put his three spoons of sugar in his coffee don't know how true those stories are but that's apparently what everybody remembers happening and this was in 2001 by the way the thing that's interesting is it appears that there's some discrepancy between like nobody knows how much cocaine was actually on the ship the police who was in charge of the investigation claimed there was about a half a ton or a little over half a ton of cocaine on the ship. I think it was like 500 and something kilograms. You know, once it became known and they did this whole recovery effort to try to recover all of the cocaine that had washed ashore, they recovered like 400 kilograms of it. So that leaves only 100 kilograms that would have sort of been unaccounted for. 
And people say that the ship had the capacity to hold three and a half tons of cocaine. The people who are skeptical of half a ton being the number, which is like $40 million worth of cocaine, by the way, for half a ton of cocaine, just to put that in perspective for you. But people are saying that the people who initially arrived there and saw it washing ashore, like the villagers in Harab's Pass, just started like taking it with them. Nobody knows how much of it is unaccounted for. They think oh. there was a lot more there than what the authorities claim. Right. They don't have an accurate. They don't know. Yeah. They don't know how much was taken. Right. Oh, let me get your let me get your ship register for how much cocaine you were carrying. Can I see the books, please? <laughs> and obviously the guy isn't going to like admit to it. <laughs> right. He's not going to be like, oh, actually, I had three and a half tons. I would like to get that back. Can I put an insurance claim in? Like, who do I need to call? Amika? Psycho? <laughs> I'm just thinking of how somebody in Venezuela is probably expecting the money for that. (laughs) So someone down there isn't too happy. (laughs) If I was this guy, like the guy who ended up going to jail for this that they caught on the island, I'd be happy to go to jail. (laughs) That's the least of your fucking problems. So I don't know the timing of like when the stuff washed to shore versus when the guy got caught but eventually i think the way they caught him was he still had a brick of cocaine on the boat like he didn't get rid of all of it oh okay he went through all this effort like he ditched cocaine just into the ocean and then he went and tried to like bury or secure a bunch more but then he like left some on the yacht it might have been a small amount but Apparently, they do like inspections of the boat when you come into port or something. I don't know. And they found it wrapped in newspaper. And it was the same newspaper. So, obviously, I'm answering my own question because so obviously, this was after it started washing ashore. They saw the newspaper had the same date as the newspaper that the other cocaine was wrapped in. So, matched up. The cocaine that they found washed ashore was like wrapped in some newspaper, I guess. And it had a date printed on it. And it was a particular type of newspaper. And that same newspaper was wrapped on this cocaine on this guy's yacht that he has parked at Ponta Delgada. Coinky ding? (laughs) Now, could you hear me out on this? (laughs) I know we don't know the ocean and we don't know. We don't know that life. (laughs) We can't even navigate through an ocean, as you heard in Moses' jet ski situation. But could you have anchored your boat? So your yacht is failing. It's not working. It's not moving. You can't get it to go nowhere. Could you anchor it and then take a lifeboat to the dock of Puta Delgada and be like, hey, we need, well, I guess I can't hide the drugs still then. I was thinking, like, could you leave the drugs on the main boat, anchor it, take a lifeboat to the island and be like, we need help. Or like, hey, I need I need this stuff to fix my boat and get back on the life little lifeboat and go back to your inked yacht and fix it. I mean, I like where your head's at. <laughs> they could have used your brainstorming in the morning meeting. God damn it. I need to be a crew member in a yacht. I don't know what the rules are. The maritime rules of washing up on an island in a dinghy. You need a passport or something, right? Like, you can't just show up 
Yeah, and if someone's showing up in a lifeboat, obviously they're like, okay, their main vessel must have crashed. Like we they're probably gonna like follow you out there to like help, I'm assuming. I don't think you could just be like, I'm a pirate <laughs> from the high seas. Oh, <laughs> uh, I was just trying to help him out. <laughs> But I guess that's if you're going through like the proper channels, right? Of like actually going, pulling into port. I I don't know. I talk about this. Like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. If you take your dinghy, like you suggest, and maybe instead of hiding your cocaine and robbed fish, maybe you just scoot up to robbed fish, right? And you mm-hmm. got a couple of veillings sitting on the cement wall, just sitting there gazing out to sea. And you say, hey, João, you want to make a few bucks? And you just take a couple of Portuguese guys on your boat, bring them back with you. Tell them, I just got to need you to help me fix this. You give them 50,000 scoots. <laughs> See, I like the way you're thinking. I don't know what scoots translates to, but you give them a few bucks. And then you bring them back. And like, I don't know. I feel like the Portuguese are kind of. Yeah, they're going to help you. They're not going to ask questions. They're not going to ask questions. And they're not they're not snitches, I feel like. No. <laughs> right? Like, they ain't going to the authorities with that. They're not. No. If you just are like, hey, I need you to dig a hole. <laughs> they're going to help you dig the hole and they're not going to ask you why. They are not. So, yeah. I mean, I feel like the morning meeting could have used a few more heads in the brainstorming circle. They just have put in like the drugs on the lifeboat and anchored the lifeboat. Oh, now we're talking. Well, that's a lot of drugs. That's a whole lot of drugs, though, right? For a lifeboat. Well, yeah, I guess a half a ton. I don't know what the weight capacity is on a dinghy. You bring up a good point because that would have kept them sort of high and dry. And I, my mind just keeps going to like, did they have a vacuum sealer? Were they up late at night watching QVC or like infomercials and they were like, you know what we need? We need a vacuum sealer for our cocaine. Call me crazy, but like, I don't think it was vacuum sealed. No. How was it staying waterproof? Because like you get some drops of water in there, like you toast, right? If you put like liquid with powder, it's just going to make that. It's just going to dissolve around. They must have wrapped it in like saran wrap, right? Like some type of saran wrap. And then submerged it in the ocean? I'm just trying to think of bricks of cocaine that I've seen on TV. (laughs) It's the only way I've seen bricks of cocaine. (laughs) Right, but like, I don't think it's something that you can just submerge in the water and it be okay. Unless it was a vacuum sealed. Right. Yeah, and they weren't probably doing that. I don't know. Drug dealers are like, Mm. they get their, they have their shit together. They never found anybody else who was involved with this. This one guy from the yacht is went down for this. Was he like the captain? I'm the captain now. <laughs> and I was just thinking this would happen in 2001. The year before that was the last time I went to the Azores. Yeah, mommy shut that down. She said it was a, <laughs> some new drogas on the island. Kelly, you ain't going anymore. Because you're in America. What a wild time. It's just so interesting when anything happens, like, in our area, especially, like, in those little small islands. Like, nothing happens over there. A couple things. Like, I think they tried to suppress this story. I'm sure it was locally, it was definitely on the news, because I think they said that doctors were coming on the news and, like, 
begging people to stop taking the drugs because it was their hospital systems were collapsing with all the overdoses. People, uh, people died. A lot of people died. It's very sad. But I think it was like something they wanted to just not put the spotlight on. I have a question for you. Like, could you maybe look at a pile of a white powder and tell like that's cocaine? No. Okay. <laughs> well, you are smarter than me. <laughs> like, I could not. Like, I, I could never. I couldn't even tell you. Like, it does it have a sugar consistency or a flour consistency? No idea. No idea. Same. Agreed. The craziness with the story is not quite yet over. So the guy gets arrested. He goes to jail in Puerto Delgada. Ten days after he gets put in jail for this massive cocaine situation, he jumps the wall. He had a Vespa waiting for him outside, and he just took off into the sunset on his Vespa. No, he did not. He did. He did. But the police were not really super concerned about it because they were like, this whole island is a jail. You ain't getting off it, so we're going to find you again. And they recaptured him like two weeks later. Oh, man. They found him in the, quote, northeast portion of the island, which is like where my family's from. So I'm just like, which one of my family members had this guy holed up in the backyard? Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. (laughs) He had a Vespa waiting for him. So I don't know how the Vespa got there. But he didn't get the boat situation settled. Like, he didn't get that taken care of. Like, he should have gotten, like, a boat situation settled. So, like, once he got on the Vespa, he could take off and then get on the boat and leave. Right. Like, what was the plan? Like, I'm escaping this jail. I got my Vespa waiting. And I'm just going to drive to Nordesht. <laughs> I'm going to drive to Nordesht and just go lay in the hydrangeas like what did what was the plan i'm disappointed here like el chapo they had their shit planned <laughs> to the t clearly this guy not a good planner no his plans he's over two <laughs> they foiled i don't feel bad that he took the hit but i i just feel bad that it was just him if there was others involved like i'd be like I'm all, we're all going down for that. I'd be snitching. I'd be snitching <laughs> on all of them. But I don't know what happened to the crew. Like, where did the crew go? Did they have, like, another boat come by and pick up the crew? Because he seemed to have been all alone in the capture. Listeners, if you know anything, let us know. If any of your family members know anything, know this man. <laughs> Unless, I'm really, I'm still thinking maybe the crew didn't know. I don't know. I think the crew knew because why else would you be having a morning meeting about what are we going to do? Like the mask is broken. And if I were the crew and this guy was like, all right, well, I don't know what to do. I'd be like, well, there's a fucking port right there. Why don't we just pull in and fix the boat? And he'd be like, oh, we can't do that. (laughs) And you'd be like, why? That's a good point, too. He's, he's like, oh, I just got to drop these newspaper bricks in the ocean first. The crew had to know. There's no way the crew didn't know. Unless, like, the crew snitched and the guy got time and they didn't. I don't think they needed a snitch. Like, they found this guy, like, on the boat, I'm pretty sure, with the cocaine that matched the cocaine that washed ashore in her fish. 
yeah, so what happened to the crew members? Where are they now? <laughs> and what about like the people who sent the drugs from Venezuela and the people who were going to be receiving the drugs in Ibiza? How come they just get off scot-free less $40 million worth of cocaine? But Unless if the guy didn't rat anybody out. I mean, I'd be like, his name is <laughs> Walmadej. He was at 152 Street. <laughs> Ooh, I don't know. Because it's like, if he were successfully escaped and he gets out and gets off the island. He's a goner. <laughs> gotta, you gotta respect the craft. <laughs> There's a lot to think about in this whole drug world. He must be out of jail because I think it said he only had to serve like nine years or something. Maybe he's enjoying the island life. Maybe he went back to Nordash. <laughs> you think he's sticking around? Yeah. I mean, once you get kind of used to that Portuguese cooking in the prison, you're kind of like, hey, I kind of like these island vibes over here. You don't think he's on Pink Street in Lisbon? I think he went back to the Quintal in Nordash. The had originally put him up for 10 days or two weeks or whatever and maybe he's on airbnb maybe he's renting out a place maybe you could stay there if you visit these are all valid theories (laughs) do you think he's a super host (laughs) i would die i would die and then like his airbnb is decorated all like nautical themes yeah, Snood needs to quit his day job, though, because he was not a very good <laughs> nautical man. Couldn't fix the boat. His his anchor for the cocaine didn't work, so he needs a new job. Look at us. Two girls here, and we thought about, boom, two theories already to try to help the situation. <laughs> lifeboat, lifeboat, lifeboat. What do you do with it? So what would you do if you were in that situation? WWJD, what would Jesus do? <laughs> Jesus wouldn't need the boat. He was going to just walk on water all the way to Ibiza. Is he walking on water with the cocaine along with him? Or is he leaving behind the cocaine? That's a good question. Jesus would probably turn the cocaine into something else. Into wine. Yeah. We're going to change this into wine. And then they'll let you right in the port with that. <laughs> that's, that's also true, yeah. Jesus pulls in with his little yacht. Hey, Snood, what do you got on board? Oh, you know, this is a vintage Carlo Rossi that's been in the hull, aging for 15 years. Isn't the wine supposed to be, like, his blood? Right? Isn't that the whole thing, that religion? It's supposed to be, like, his blood, right? Oh. We're, we're drinking his blood. If you want to go on a tangent, I got a tangent for you. (laughs) All right. So we're done with our culture topic and we have a really good nostalgia topic and mental health topic for you today. But I I, I want to go on this tangent. So I don't know what to do. (laughs) It's fine. We'll treat our listeners to a longer episode because they got a shorter one last week. There you go. Look at that. I stumbled upon something on Facebook about this topic very recently. I don't know. What kind of shit I'm into in my Google searches that makes this sponsored post come up for me. But it was a sponsored post from a priest. And he was talking about the crisis, that the church was in crisis because 
maybe it was like two thirds of Christian or two thirds of Catholics didn't believe in transubstantiation, which is that the Eucharist and the wine are the actual body and blood of Christ. It's not. <laughs> or become the actual body and blood of Christ once they're um, <laughs> hashtag blessed. I don't know. Apparently, two thirds of Catholics say they believe it's just symbolic. Like this symbolizes the body and blood of Christ versus a third of Catholics truly believe it is the body and blood of Christ. And so the priest says this is a crisis and we need to have a Eucharistic revival where everybody gets revamped in the Eucharist and they truly believe that that's happening. Whatever. And then he's selling a book. So it was was a sponsored post. And I was like, "Ah!" it just has all kinds of ick written all over it. If you want people to believe in it more, how about stop selling the Eucharist, the wafers on Amazon? (laughs) What I found interesting was in the comments, honestly, it was depressing. There was no shortage of people who believed this and were purchasing this man's book. But there was somebody that said, there's a Eucharistic miracle going on right now at this church in Rhode Island. A Eucharistic miracle is when something happens to the Eucharist you know, historically, like the Eucharist would start bleeding or something. It would have some change. There would be some physical change to the Eucharist that people would say, oh my gosh, it's a miracle. This is truly the body of Christ. Like, look at it. It's changing right before our eyes, right? That's a Eucharistic miracle. And so I'm going to keep describing what happened to you. But as I was describing this to my husband, I had to explain to him what a Eucharistic miracle was. And I was like, you know, like the Eucharist when it bleeds. And he's like, I'm sorry, did you say the uterus? And I was like, yes, yes, it is. That would make more sense. The uterus, (laughs) the Eucharist does not. This person linked a post of this priest in Rhode Island. I couldn't see his original post, but from what I could gather, Mm -hmm. he had made a post that they were having a Eucharistic miracle because the Eucharist was changed to a blue hue, a blue tinted Eucharist in the monstrance. What's the name that OPI call it? <laughs> tile art to warm your heart, a deep blue with a hint of shimmer. Yes, tile art to warm your heart is the color that this Eucharist was shining, apparently. I don't know if he made like a Facebook Live video or a post <laughs> or whatever he did, but this man was getting some pretty wide attention for claiming a Eucharistic miracle at this church. By the time I got to this situation, the priest had already posted a follow-up post and 30-minute long video to accompany it. And the post was like nine paragraphs long. And in the post, what I could gather was that he was doing an investigation on the Eucharistic miracle that was happening. He basically had to like retract his Eucharistic miracle claim because he found out in his investigation that unbeknownst to him, his church staff had changed the lighting in the chapel and had changed it to a bulb that was different than the bulbs that they used to use. It was a different type of bulb. And that was what was reflecting a blue hue on the Eucharist and the monstrance. And I am just fucking dead because 
somebody working at the rectory over there <laughs> is on their little Amazon account and they're like, oh, okay, I'm looking for a bulb, a uh, blue tint LED. Yep, that looks good. <laughs> and they order these bulbs. They don't know what the hell they're doing. They change out the bulb and this priest, I'm sure, was one call away from the Pope himself in the back. <laughs> over an Amazon bulb, LED bulb with a blue tint. I think so I wouldn't look like an idiot. I would just fucking lie. Like, I would just keep going with it at that point. If you're nine paragraphs into the post, you gotta just go with it. So I feel like that is how the Catholic religion came to be, is just everybody just going with the lie. (laughs) Too proud to back down. But the saddest part about it was he says all of this about how the bulb was replaced and blah, 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 blah. And then he gets to the bottom and he's like, but I'm going to continue to investigate and see what's going on here with this Eucharist. And like, he's still trying to say like, oh, there's something here. And then the people in the comments were like, oh, my gosh, I see it. It's a miracle. Oh, my God. It's Our Lady of Fatima is trying to tell us something. And I'm like, what is going on the only thing our lady of fatima is trying to tell us is that there's a sale on led bulb i was like just thinking that click for the save the five percent coupon subscribe and save (laughs) but just think about every other claim of a eucharistic miracle in the entire history of the earth right can they can all be explained by something like i don't know mold or something that you know the eucharist just got moldy that's how mold works yeah yeah and instead, they're just like, look, it has a beating heart. And you're like, no, it doesn't. That's a spore. That's a mold spore. <laughs> when I brought up this tangent, I was thinking it was just totally unrelated and it was going to derail our episode. But I did it anyway. But it's actually the perfect segue into our <laughs> nostalgia segment. I didn't see it at the time, but now I see it. I see it, too. So what are we talking about as we talk about Jesus? We are talking about the 90s show, Seventh Heaven. I loved the shit out of that show. Same. So recently we come across, so I came across on Instagram, I think you did on TikTok, uh, this guy, Rob Anderson, and he like rewatches the show. And as he's doing the rewatch, he films like different scenes of it. And it's just, it's a few minutes of a video. And they're just, they're just so funny. He's just hilarious. <laughs> like I, I have no other words for it. The plot lines of the show are ridiculous. They weren't ridiculous at the time when we were kids because we were all just like fascinated by the show. Well, I had a crush on Matt. We probably all had a crush on Matt, the older brother played by Barry Watson. But the show is like ridiculous and it's unhinged. <laughs> so it's like a Christian family, 90s Christian morals, 90s Christian values. The father's a reverend. They got the seven kids. At the time that we were watching this, I didn't see anything wrong with it. It seemed totally normal to me. And now, as we unpack all of this upbringing, right? And we like to put the blame and the guilt and all of that on our Catholic upbringing and our families pushing their religion on us and all this stuff. But like, was it that or was it just watching Seventh Heaven that fucked us up? It's probably a little bit of both. Every recap that this guy 
does of the show and you watch and you're like, oh, this is so problematic. The mom apparently is like an episode where who, I forgot who it is. Like somebody smoked weed. The mom, Annie, tells like her husband that she smoked weed back in her day. Like she tried it once and the father was like shocked as if she almost like told him that she like cheated on him or something. <laughs> That affected me. I wore a hugs, not drugs shirt in high school. And I was like, I disowned all my friends who smoked pot. You did. Yeah, you definitely did. It kind of kills me because, like, some of them have kids, they're all little dicks. They weren't like nice kids. Like the one that we were talking about earlier, where Lucy invites the friend over because they think the friend's bulimic. So she wants to quote unquote have an entrapment dinner. Rob Anderson's words, <laughs> an entrapment dinner. So they think their friend is throwing up after they eat. So Lucy invites them over to the invites her over to the house. The mom obviously makes dinner and they eat, and the girl takes off to go to the bathroom after she eats. And the mom like goes and like stops her Annie to like go talk to her because she's like, oh, this got to be right. Like she she must be bulimic. She went to the bathroom, but you see her like tucking her toothbrush in her hand, and she's like, I'm not freaking bulimic. I just I'm poor and I'm hung like I'm hungry. Like that's. She's like, I'm just brushing my teeth. And I'm like, wow, Lucy, you're kind of a bitch. <laughs> it, w- it was absolutely a bitch move. And the funniest thing is in that clip, the girl, what was her name Shelby? Shelby knew that they thought she was bulimic and that that's why they invited her over to the house. And she still went because she was like, I'm fucking hungry. Like, I, I don't have any food <laughs> at home. In Rob Anderson's repost of that, he was like, Shelby was playing chess and <laughs> Lucy was playing checkers. Okay. I was reading the Wikipedia page of each character, and each character has like paragraphs full. Mary was a hot mess. She like didn't go to college. She moved to like live in New York with her grandparents, Eric's Eric's father, the colonel, and didn't finish firefighter school. Went to go like work at a homeless shelter. Met her future baby daddy at the homeless shelter. <laughs> There's just a lot going on, and then like signed over her rights to her her child, like her child to the to the dad for like a Christian family. They're always taking in every freaking hot guy on the show, <laughs> like Robbie, the homeless uh, Mary's homeless ex boyfriend. The father takes him right in, and he lives there for forever. Martin was, like, the baseball player that Ruthie was, like, in love with. The list goes on. <laughs> they had a lot of that. Like, our parents weren't letting us take strangers inside. Like, they weren't taking anybody home. He's a reverence. He's trying to help people. But he's awful problematic. He's a meddler. He puts his nose in everybody's business. I know you're saying he's trying to help people. But there were people who didn't need or want help, and he would just stick himself into their shit. Like, he was always trying to just be like, let me get to the bottom of this. He's <laughs> always around. And it's a good point. There's an episode with Simon's friend, sisters in a gang. And, like, the father kept insisting that, like, the, that the, the girl that's in the gang, that her parent need to, like, check her room. They check the room. She doesn't have anything in her room. And he's like, no, but she's in a gang. Like, you got to keep checking. <laughs> keep checking. <laughs> and then does he go in there himself? Who is he the one who lifts the, the bed skirt up and he sees, quote, gang 
memorabilia under her bed, which was just like a bandana and like in the brother, it's hidden in the brother's bed. Ah, uh, that's where it was. It's in the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they don't think they didn't find nothing in her room. And Eric is like, no, 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 we gotta keep checking. We gotta keep checking. <laughs> like, motherfucker, this isn't your house. Take that from the other dad's perspective, right? The fucking local priest <laughs> shows up and starts demanding to like go through your shit in your daughter's room. I'd be like, get the fuck out. What are you doing? Seeing your business. Mind your own. God, I like just I kept reading so much about it. <laughs> and to the other point, which I do remember this briefly. I haven't rewatched this in a long time, but I do remember at some point that the father ends up like in being like a priest for a little bit he ends up going back to it but like i think he has like a crisis he has like issues with his heart he like lies to annie about his health he realizes like oh i don't know i guess i don't want to be a, pe- a priest anymore i want to be a pedophile instead <laughs> so he not on the show no no that's a real life situation but the house they're living he, they live in for free because he's a priest it's like the church home that the church gives to them to live for in they get to live in, like, that huge-ass house for free? It's free. He doesn't have to go live with his family at the rectory next to the church? No, that's, like, a church-owned home. Shouldn't he got booted out of the house if he wasn't a priest anymore? I keep saying priest, right, right, I'm sorry. He's not Catholic because he can't get married. They should have all just had to pack up their shit and go. That rectory where the priests live, if you ain't at that parish, you're, you're gone, right? You're gone, yeah. Lucy ends up living in there with her husband and they have their baby. So it's like an add-on. So I'm like, everyone's just like living off this house. All of the things that you just said, though, I feel like some of them were like heavier or problematic or something. But then they would take little issues and make them into like mountains. So like like the mom smoking pot, I guess, was a good example of like something... (laughs) So, like, she's like, I tried pot once, and, like, it was this huge issue in the show. Another example is when the oldest brother, Matt, I think he, like, stole a glass from a restaurant or something. Oh, I think Mary did. Oh, Mary stole it. He covered for her. Yeah. So Mary stole a glass from a restaurant. I mean, who has it? Who, I mean, in my, I don't now. I don't make a habit (laughs) of doing that now, but I had a glass or two. I have a scorpion bowl that I stole. We both stole it together. Yeah, I don't know. You're in college or you're in high school and you're a little dumb. You're new to drinkware and you just <laughs> you need a glass, a token glass. But this glass stealing turns into a whole court case. Like he goes to court. You're going to tell me that this establishment is going after one cup with a lawyer in a court case? I can't imagine, like, a judge seeing that on his docket. (laughs) Applebee's versus Matt Camden. Just the stuff on there was just so crazy. Like, I think one of the younger brothers was, like, huffing paint out of cans at one point. Like, they were getting high off of, like, aerosol spray cans of paint. And then, like, they got caught or something. And they were like, no, I'm not huffing paint. Like. And they literally had, like, paint mustaches from all the huffing. Do you remember, like, the magazines growing up, like, the 90s teen bop magazines? Oh, one of the pages would have, like, addresses that you can, like, 
write fan letters to, and I actually wrote a fan letter <laughs> Seventh Heaven. I God knows what was said. I don't remember. Probably like, I love Matt. <laughs> You're so hot, Matt. So they sent a picture back with autographs on the back of it and Happy's corporate is on it, you know, because he knows how to sign a card. <laughs> so I framed this picture and I have it in my bedroom on my bureau. My aunt from Portugal, she comes into my room in the morning and she's like doing a light dusting in my room. I don't know why. I'm sleeping. She goes in and she's kind of like arranging my room and does like a little dusting. And she sees the photo and I can hear her and she's like, ah, oh, he's a familiar to my dad. Like saying that this must be my dad's side of the family. That's lots pie. <laughs> I lost my shit because I was like, yeah, I wish. <laughs> I mean, does it look like my dad's side of the family? <laughs> exactly. So I'm like, it's hilarious. It's hysterical. <laughs> and I love that so much. I could not love that anymore. But like, has she seen your dad? <laughs> He's an immigrant from San Miguel. And Seventh Heaven is like the whitest Christian family. <laughs> the whitest. <laughs> so as I was just kind of going through my deep dive, Seventh Heaven and all this stuff, people were talking about how they would want a reboot of Seventh Heaven. But obviously, because the dad's a pedophile, so he's not going to be on it. They would say, "Hey, like Matt should be like the main, like the main dad. It would be like Matt, his wife, and then I think Matt ended up having his wife ended up having twins, and then they would introduce like the other siblings back into it." I don't want it. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want it. <laughs> I don't know. A lot of these re- reboots are not that great either. Unless the show is surrounding him creating a podcast to unpack his unhealthy upbringing in that (laughs) house. If that's the show, I'm in. Any other version of that, I'm out. (laughs) Okay. Into our mental health segment. This one is one that we wish we didn't know anything about. Pet grief. Uh, yeah, it's, I can't even, I'm trying to, like, I don't want to cry. I've cried so much, and I cry a lot when I'm by myself when I think about her. But it sucks so much. No words can, like, explain losing your fucking best friend. Sorry, guys. No. She was 15 when she passed. But I didn't have her for the full 15 years. I think I got her when she was like at least three, more or less. So I've had her for a long time. But like Melissa mentioned, if anybody, if you guys know me, I was obsessed with my little girl. So I'm taking it hard. I'm gonna lay it out there. I just cry all the time. I watch videos, photos. I keep checking like my memories and I just keep like all day. I'm just like, oh, like, okay, like right now it's. 10 p.m. I would be like, oh, I'm taking her out soon to go pee. And, you know, I think the same thing in the morning. Like, oh, like, I keep forgetting that, like, I don't have to, like, take her out in the morning to go pee. Like, it's like the routine part of it. And that's what sucks. Because now I'm like, I'm coming home and I'm like, I don't have nothing to do. So it's like, that's what I'm also struggling with. Because I was just so used to, like, coming home, like, taking her for a walk. And then, like, getting her dinner ready. Like, getting her to eat. And then, like, I would eat. She loved car rides. So if I had to like run an errand, I would always take her with me to do a car ride. Like I'm just struggling. I've been just watching a lot of mindless TV. 
seventh heaven. <laughs> exactly. I've been watching a lot of mindless TV, and sometimes as I'm watching, I'll just think, oh, I gotta go on, like, I gotta go check on her, and I'm like, oh, wait, no, she's not here anymore. So it sucks. Yeah, so it's like your entire routine is up upended, and it's gonna take a while for, like, a new routine to set in. It takes time. It feels so strange for for a long time until you build that new routine until that feels until your new routine feels normal of okay I, I there's I'm going to do something different when I get home from work every day or I'm going to do this or that and to try to fill that void you know what I mean it's going to stop for a while I just I feel bad cause like my dad obviously was super close to my dog so he's taking it pretty bad my mom obviously is the same too but like like my mom said the, the other night um my mom's always constantly checking on me like I didn't eat for a while and stuff like that because I just didn't want to eat so she's been trying to just constantly feed me stuff and sometimes I just you don't want to eat you're fucking sad so my mom one night she was like I think making me tea or whatever she was like in the like 40 something years I've been with your father she's like I've never seen him cry you get a dog you're signing yourself up for a heartbreak probably like in 10 15 years right like we all know it like they, they they can't fucking live forever unfortunately but i just feel really bad for them like you mentioned when i talked to you about it the other day it sucks to be the person to make the decision so that's like in like my house like i because she's obviously my dog so i made that i had to make that decision yeah she was also kind of like my parents dog. she kind of became my parents dog but at the end of the day like i did all like the medical, the vet stuff, like I, that was, that was all on me. So it just sucks to make that decision. That, that was the hardest part because you just, you never know if you're making the right decision. It's usually, it's usually by the time you're at the point of needing to make that decision, it's usually like the only way to go kind of, but it's just, there's always something in you that's going to be like almost like a what if of like, oh, like what if we could have just done this or what if, you know what I mean? There's always like it's just all day. It's just going in your brain. Yeah. And so I think when my dog died a couple of years ago, I was in a room to make that decision. And and my dog was young. My dog was only six. It was a golden retriever, and it was just like sudden, very tragic. the The doctor. It wasn't my normal vet. It, we were at some. They sent us to some other place in Massachusetts, some big hospital facility. And the guy just like kept coming into the room and asking, like, he gave me the information and then was like, you need to make a decision. And then he left the room and then he would come back into the room. And I was like, uh, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And he would come back and he would leave and he'd come back. The, that guy came into the room like seven times. And I was like, are you rushing me? Oh my God. I couldn't do it. I was like, I'm, I'll sit here all day. Like, I'm just, I'm not making this decision. Like, I cannot do it how can you you know what i mean right like you i know you have to but it's like it's not a decision that you can just make lightly no it's a permanent decision you know exactly like how how many decisions in your life are so permanent like that so and it's like obviously you just trust like your vet because they obviously like my brother was trying to say like how many times a day do you think your vet is doing this in one day so it's like there are the people that would know like it's like obviously because in my brain I'm just always like what if I did this or that or like what the heck like I should have done this like you're just your brains all day but my brother's like your vet will, your vet knows they see so many sick dogs they know like they almost know when it's time and I'm like 
I guess, but then you're like, what if they're wrong this one time? That's <laughs> uh, a lot of emotions. That is why I was MIA last week, guys. But Melissa did great on her own. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for listening. 